Praise God, it's good to see everyone this morning. I uh, was looking over my notes for the last couple days. Let me see if I can get my, there it is. Um, and uh, it's incredible to look at this passage of Scripture. And what I'm going to say this morning, I think, um, uh, might be taken wrongly. I hope it's not taken wrongly. I hope it'll be challenging. I hope it'll be directional in each one of your lives. Uh, so thankful for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and so thankful that the Word of God really gives us light, you know, and really explains even our world and the things that we go through, even as believers in the Lord Jesus you know, and it's amazing because as we looked at chapter number five and we went through it for a number of months, it's incredible because we realize opposition grows against the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, against the gospel of Jesus, both inside the church and outside of the church. And you saw that in chapter number five. You know, one of the, one of the things that we saw, one, one of the areas that would really weaken and dampen uh, the reputation of Jesus Christ and even the power of the message going forward happened to be a hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a great sin. And the reason why it's such a great sin that happens to be, again, uh, out there is because we're pretending, you know, that we believe, that we trust in Jesus Christ, that, that we're something that we truly are not. And you can imagine a whole congregation of people who are just living hypocritically, you know, and really have their eyes, really have their destiny on something else, really care more about what people think about them rather than God. You know, how that weakens the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, 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 we saw that with Ananias and Sapphira. And we saw God handle that situation that happened to be again right there. The other opposition came from outside of the church. And that happened to be again from the religious leaders. The religious leaders, because they loved the darkness. They loved the reputation that they had before men. They loved, again, their cushy lives. Hated Jesus Christ. Hated this bright light that cast a light on them that their lives really needed to change and they really needed to trust Jesus. So they commanded the, uh, the apostles to stop preaching in the name of Jesus or there were going to be repercussions. They even built them. But the amazing thing about the end of chapter number five is you see this growing church. You see the power, again, as they overcome all of these obstacles. But even as we mentioned last time, the enemy that happened to begin of our souls has many various different tools in his toolbox to somehow uh, weaken, to somehow dampen, to somehow destroy the testimony of our great God among the people of God. And one of his favorite tools, again, happens to be dissension. You know, division among those who happen to be believers in the Lord Jesus, infighting among the people of God. You know, and you can look through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can look even as, uh, you know, some of the most famous preachers that happen to be, or some of the most notable pre-preachers, how they don't get along with one another. You know, and how, how many churches have gone through church splits, church divisions. You know, and most people who leave churches today, this is something you have to realize, leave not because of doctrinal reasons. It's not because the church somehow has deviated away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They leave because of interpersonal squabbles that happen to begin in their midst. You know, and we preach this great message of forgiveness, and you can imagine how that's perceived in the world that happens to be around us. You know, and as we look into the early church, we see things haven't changed. Many times we say, oh, you could just go back. Things were so perfect in the early church. Well, we see this division even in there. And we read about it last time we were together in verse number one. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. And that's so important, isn't it? Because this happened during a time of intense blessing that happened to be again in the church. A complaint, right? 
by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because the widows were being neglected in their daily distribution. And let me just say that this could be something major, it could be something minor, it could be a, yeah, a complaint because we realize as humans we're given over to looking and complaining. Or it could be real. You know, and, and if it was real, it was, it, was, it was a great problem, wasn't it? You can imagine if we had a whole bunch of widows in our congregation, you know, and they had no support, they had no governmental support, they had no welfare system, there was nothing really to help them. And all of a sudden, we aided, we distributed all the needs for those who lived in the city of Windsor, but for those who lived in the outskirts of Essex County, we didn't care to take care of their needs. It would create a schism in the church, wouldn't it? You know, it would create, again, a problem that happened to be again right there. Well, you can imagine right here, because we, you have these widows coming in from all parts of the Roman Empire, and they probably came in on the day of Pentecost to celebrate uh, God's great deliverance, the expectancy about what God would do. And they were saved. We had the, the beginning of the church, but they had no way of supporting themselves. And this was a great problem that existed. And one of the reasons why I love going through these uh, histories and going through the Acts of the Apostles is, is we learn how to take care of problems, how, how to take care of uh, even divisions. And this is one of the things I loved about the Apostles. You know, the Apostles did not ignore problems when they came along. You know, they addressed those problems. And I think that's so good for church leadership today. You know, church leadership, when problems, when difficulties again arise, need to address those problems, need to combat those problems. At the same time, they cannot deviate from that which happens to be preeminent. And we see this in the life of the apostles. The other reason why I love this chapter, chapter number six, and especially these opening verses, is because we start seeing the, the church of Jesus Christ take form. It starts to take shape. It starts to have a structure about it. Now, in the preceding, after this, in the uh, centuries that followed, we see this complex system of hierarchy that starts to develop in the church of Jesus Christ, so much so that the, the gospel gets lost. You know, but I think in evangelicalism, you know, those who preach the gospel, we've almost gone to the other extreme, where there's no structure, where there's no form, where there's no, again, um, uh, shape that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ takes. And let me tell you, there has to be a form. There has to be an order. There has to be a structure if we are truly going to make and mature disciples for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see that shape taking on, and then it'll go out into all the world as they preach the gospel. But the thing that I want us to look at this morning is I basically want us to ask the question this. Why are we here this morning? You know, when you walked into Emmanuel Baptist Church, what was, it, was there any intentionality? Was there any sense, again, of a mission? Was there any sense, again, of the glory of God, what we have come out to do? You know, because so often, and I think the last three or four years have really been good to us in, in, in one way. Even though we've gone through very divisive times, uh, times, again, of a huge amount of stress, because it's really put an emphasis on this. What is the church? What is the function of the church? Well, how should the church operate? Because here you have a real need, but here you have the disciples, beyond a shadow of a doubt, recognize what the greatest need is. And do we recognize that? You know, when you look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, how should it function? What should be preeminent in it, in its functionality? And I really think this, this dovetails in each one of our lives. 
Because so often the physical things of life in each one of our life, the physical stresses of life and in our relationships many times take precedence over that which is preeminent. And I really want us to show that. I really want us to recognize beyond a shadow of a doubt what is to be preeminent. And I hope to prove it this morning. And I hope by proving it again, it'll really uh, uh, bring us on a trajectory that will honor, that will glorify, that will praise God and really change our lives. And let me tell you, just say about this sermon, you know, in this text of scripture, I can be misunderstood this morning. I can be greatly misunderstood this morning. You know, you might look afterwards and say, uh, Pastor Scott's really uncaring about those who have physical needs, those who have, are going through social ills and social evils that happen to begin right there. Please stay with me. Please understand the text. Please understand the priority and why God has given this priority in each one of our lives. You know, and the priority is the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of God's word with all the implications of the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope to show that this morning by two, 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 two ways. And the first way is we need to realize the commission of the Lord. The commission that the Lord Jesus Christ gave us is to preach a specific message, isn't it? A specific good news about Jesus Christ. And look at, you know, we have this complaint, but look at what it says in verse number two. It says, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, that's something else, isn't it? When, when you uh, think about this, I, as, as I was reading this text, I was actually, uh, this is months, months ago, I was actually thinking about uh, when I was in Nicaragua. I can remember uh, my first time I went to Nicaragua. I woke up in this hostel. And uh, they had a general breakfast for all the people who were staying there. And there was a bunch of Christian workers from various different organizations. And I can remember uh, sitting down and talking to a gentleman, you know, and he started to talk about the needs of Nicaragua. And he said, the one thing Nicaragua needs is they do not need more churches. You know, and I asked him to explain himself. And he says, well, what Nicaragua needs is more medical missionaries to come in. You know, the, uh, the health of the people is really deteriorated and gone in. What they need, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is more education. With this education, they'll be able to make a better living. They'll be able to lift themselves out of much of the poverty that I happen to be in. What Nicaragua needs is better leaders, you know, that will lead the people in a better political system that will help the people that happen to be getting around them. But the one thing that Nicaragua does not need is they do not need more churches to be planted, which was amazing because we were there to train pastors to plant churches for, for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I find this sort of sentiment happens to be, again, alive and well among many of those who profess to be born-again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we look at the needs that happen to be getting around it and think of what they want. They want a gospel-less Christianity. In other words, a Christianity with all the good works of the gospel, but without the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, you hear this so often. You know, what we have to do is just be doing these good works, 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 and they're absolutely necessary. Don't get me wrong. You know, but what priority has God given in our life? I mean, you know, we, we, we talk about that, right? Many times, don't quote the Bible so much. Don't be so churchy, you know? And we look at the church. Think about it. We look at the church and the mission of the church and the organization of the church and the gospel where this church, right, 
It's the pillar. The, the church is meant to support this gospel. We look at a church many times as a necessary evil that happened to be in our life, and sometimes we would be better off without it. But when you look at the apostles, when you look at the commission that was given to them, the commission was very specific in the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying this, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we should not be involved in alleviating many of the social ills that happen to be again around us. But the question we have to ask ourselves in the church is, what is the commission? What is the specific commission that, to, that God has given us? You know, because this was a real need. You know, we, we, we just cannot understand. Being a widow with children in that society, you were very vulnerable. You could lose your life. You could be taken advantage of. You know, this was a real need. And this is why the apostles addressed this, because it really was a need. But at the same time, they would not be deviated. They would not deviate it away from what God wanted them to do. I mean, it is amazing, isn't it? Because you have that again in verse number two. It says, and when the 12, right? Other words, the disciples summoned the full number. And I love this, the full number. Other words, the whole church. You know, they wanted all the church to be involved in this. And look at how the church is described here. It's described here as the disciples, right? right? In other words, these disciples are learners. They're followers of Jesus Christ. They're not, again, Christian by name, but they're, a, they're Christian. They have that spirit of God. They're living out the truths of Jesus Christ. They're learning of him. And this is very instructive for them. And he says, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So think of how great this need is. And this is what they're saying. It is not right that we give up this in order to do this. In other words, if we gave up this to do this great and good and necessary work, it would be wrong in God's estimation. It'd be wrong in God's sight. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's almost shocking in our society that happens to be around us, even our Christianity that happens to begin here. But you see it throughout the book, uh, book of Acts, don't you? You know, they were given a specific task, and that task has been handed down to us, but we see it throughout the book of Acts. You know, here they are. You know, they can do a lot of good things. They're hauled in before the religious leaders, and they're told beyond a shadow of a doubt, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And think of who they are. They're the religious authority, and the civil authority, and they tell them if they keep on preaching, there's going to be repercussions. So what do we do? Well, we can do the good works of the gospel. Let's just go and love people. Let's just go and meet the needs of those that happen to be again around us. Let's just get together and sing kumbaya or whatever it happens to be. But what, how did they respond? Well, in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 19, it says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot, I love this, for we cannot, it's unthinkable, we cannot but speak of what we have heard and seen. In other words, we're going to preach this gospel. And it's not just that they had a heart and they're trying to be difficult to get along with or anything else like this, but it's an obedience issue. This is what God has commissioned us to do. And think of it. So when you came in this morning, what were you most looking forward to? Right? Right? How about this? Our God is faithful. Who can stand against us for our God is what? For us. I love that hymn. Right? I love singing again these Christmas hymns. 
You know, and we sing the gospel, we pray the gospel, we have the scripture read to us. But do you know what the preeminent activity, the preeminent worship, worship, worship activity is this morning? It's the preaching of God's word. You know, it's the heralding of this gospel and the implications of this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the preeminent activity of the church. Now think of it, because there is some applications that happen to begin right there. So whether we're teaching Sunday school, whether we're preaching in the pulpit, when you look at a preacher, when you look at a pastor who pastoring a church, you know, who stands in the pulpit again on a, on a Sunday morning, what's the priority that happens to be in his life? And the priority that happens to be in his life is the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with all the implications. In other words, the preaching of the word. We won't give it up. We won't give it up. We won't give it up. And why do I say that? Because so many churches have become uh, basically um, uh, social environs to go out and somehow conquer all the social evils that happen to begin around them. So a pastor might be on this uh, committee, this community committee that happens to be over here. He might be involved in this outreach to help, again, whatever social ill that happened to be right here and right here and right here and right here. And you ask somebody about the pastor of your church. You know, and, and they'll say something like this. He's a real nice guy. He's just not a good preacher. And the reason why he's not a good preacher is usually, you know, in a hurry on Sunday or Saturday night for a couple hours, he puts together something really quickly that he can speak for the people for 15, 20 minutes while he sings for an hour and a half or whatever it happened to be. Let me tell you what the premier, premier activity, the priority is, is the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the making and maturing of disciples for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood, right? I really do not want to be misunderstood that somebody would walk out of here and, some, and somehow think that we don't care about the social ills, we don't care about the social evils that happen to be getting around it. In fact, Christianity in its purest form, when it was preached, all of a sudden, believers had a heart for widows, they had a heart for the orphans. In fact, again, in that early uh, Roman Empire, many times children were abandoned, babies were abandoned when the parents could not take care of them. They were just left out in the streets. And at night, Christians would actually go and collect all of these babies, and they would raise them as their own. You know, they would raise them in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. They realized they had dignity because they were made in the image of this great God. And their Christianity actually affected how they treated others. You know, when you look at the welfare system, even the welfare system in Canada, and I know it's abused, but the reason why there's a welfare system in Canada is because of Christian principles. When you look at our whole medical system and, and uh, the modern medical system, it came from believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who wanted to heal the physical ailments of people for the glory of God. When you look at education... You know, the leading proponents of education have always been believers. In fact, where Christianity has been preached, the education level has always gone up. You know, and what they've done is combat and combat and combat. Here's the problem. Here it is. Here it is. You know, these are good. This is the outworking of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here it is. This becomes a priority in the church. You know, William Booth I used to preach the three S's. Any, anyone know them? Salvation. Soup and soap. And I'm not trying to be difficult this morning, 
But there's a lot of soup and soap in the, in the Salvation Army, but very little, again, preaching on the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and let me just say this, the reason why it's so tempting to go in that direction is because people will always applaud us when we are involved in soup and soap. They really will. Look at, look at those questions. Look at them out there. Look at them helping this group or that group or this underfunded group or these, or these people that happen to be over here or this under, underprivileged. They'll always applaud us. No, no, when we look at where the offense comes in, the offense comes in with the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let, let me just say it as clearly as possible. The commission that God has given us this morning is very specific. It is very specific, and what it is, is the gospel of Christ. The preaching of it, yeah, 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 this is great. This is absolutely necessary. Yeah, we have to meet this, but we will not giving up. It would be wrong for us to leave the preaching of God's word. There's a preeminence, there's a priority that happens again right there. Now, think about that, because why it's so important. Why over all other things is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so important? It's so important because of this. Because the gospel, in the gospel, is salvation through Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's the message of Jesus Christ, him crucified, he risen from the grave, the only hope for mankind. And that is the only eternal hope for mankind. I mean, think of it. Think of it. Let's just read verse, verse, verse uh, number two again, because, because I really want us to get this. It says, and, and, the tw- and, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now think about that. If you had no background in Christianity, and this verse was read to you, and you realize there's these widows that happen to be struggling here, and they said, no, we're not going to give it up, you, you would come to this conclusion. These apostles must be unfeeling. I mean, what could be of greater need than helping these people out who are under the threat of starvation? What what greater need could there be? What greater need could there be when we look at those who are uneducated to train them in education so they can rise up in their whole society and become productive members in that culture, in that society? What could be greater than helping um, the redistribution of some of the world's wealth that, uh, that people could live under the same guise and somehow all their social evils could be done away with? What could be greater than all of a sudden ending all the corrupt governments that happen to begin out there that stifle the freedoms of people? You know, what could be greater than helping, you know, those who happen to be single women who many times are abused and victimized? And I could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And the reason why is because there's so much evil, social evil that happens to be in our world. And this is what I do for those who are involved in it. I applaud them. I say, praise God that you are involved in these various different tasks. And yet Peter even though we have all of these social evils that just are not new to us today, but existed back then, says, no, we will not deviate from the preaching of God's, God's word, God's gospel. And why? Why? And I think the question should be asked this way. What's the problem? When you look at humanity... When you look at your neighbors, 
when you look at the people that you live with, when you look at the people that you work with, what's, what's the problem? I could even word it this way. Why do we have social evils? Right? Why do we have social evils? Uh, why is there evil? Why is there corrupt governments? Why is there the victimization of women and children? Why is there oppression? Why is there murder? Why is there rape? Why is there wars? And I could go again, on and on and on. Why? And we all know this as believers in the Lord Jesus, but I think many times we, st- we, you know, we look, we're looking at surface level, and we start to look away. Isn't it true? You know, we realize man's greatest difficulty, man's greatest problem, humanity's greatest problem is this, is our own wicked hearts is our own sinfulness. And let me just say this, that's theology 101. That's not something deep or something, well, Pastor, you just blew my head away this morning. Like, it's theology 101. The greatest problem that we have, here it is, is human sin. Isn't it? It's in us. It's not just around us. It's not just some structure of society that happens to be again around us. And, and this is what really concerns me so often because I can hear well-meaning Christians saying, if we could only do this for them, if we could only educate them, if we could only do this, there wouldn't be so much evil. And they forget where that evil is. That evil is not around us. It's in us. Isn't it true? Paul, when he quotes the Old Testament, uh, describes uh, man in Romans chapter 3, and he says this, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. And we say, amen, 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 amen. Then it describes them, it describes us. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive The venom of asps is on their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And listen to the social evils that come out of that. It says, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. Does that describe your world? It does, doesn't it? And what's the problem? The problem is right here. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the problem, isn't it? The problem's not around us, folks. The problem is in us. And therefore, think about it, because what is the greatest need that any person has? What's the greatest need that these widows have? What's the greatest need of these Hebrew uh, professing Christians that are not meeting the needs of these Hellenistic widows? What's the greatest need? Jesus Christ. And please, please don't get it wrong. Please don't get it wrong. This is our problem, right? Right? Here, here it is. God comes into our life. We have salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness of sins. We have this new nature. And with this new nature, we see life so differently. What we want to do is we want to get, so we have these new works here. What we want to do is we want to invert it. We want somehow these good works to happen to begin over here and there. There's only one problem. You and I have a wicked heart. Right? I hear this all the time. You know, and I try to be sensitive. You know, if only he would get off the bottle, he would have a great life. Right? Why is he on the bottle? Right? If only he would learn how to be content in his life. 
Why is he not content in his life? If only, if only, point something outside. What's the greatest need? Greatest need is salvation. It's amazing to look at the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus had a compassion upon people who were suffering in this life. He went everywhere and did again miracles. In fact, we even heard it read from the Mark's Gospel today as he exercised that unclean spirit out of that boy. You know, he went everywhere alleviating the social ills of those who happen to be around us, whether it happens to be blindness, whether it happens to be lameness, whether it happens to be muteness, whether it happens to be an unclean spirit. He went everywhere. But why did Jesus Christ come? I mean, it's outlined so beautifully in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, you have one of the greatest miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children with five little loaves. And when they talk about little loaves, they really were little loaves, you know, and two fishes. And what did he do? He blessed, and then all of a sudden he started breaking. Right? 5,000 men, women and children. You know, and the next day they get up, they're all excited, no, uh, no doubt they think they're going to get another meal, and guess what they want to do? They want to crown Jesus the Messiah. They want to crown Jesus the King. What could be better? Well, where's Jesus? He's gone. They make a, a, a hunt for him, and they find him in the uh, town of Capernaum. And I say, why'd you go? You know, uh, won't you feed our bellies? And he tells them, I haven't come to feed your bellies. You know, I've come not to give you physical manna. I've come to give you spiritual manna. And guess what? I'm that spiritual manna. You know, he says in John chapter 6 and verse number 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. They needed that bread. They needed that salvation. Do we get that? Do we get that every, every person has a need of salvation and his primary need? Do you know what? My brother-in-law was telling me this. Uh, we were talking about all the ailments of old life. And I'm, I'm not really that old, even though some of you think 60 is ancient. You know, I'm really not that old. Uh, but uh, we were talking about all the ailments. And he was telling me he went to his doctor. And his doctor gave him a statistic. And this was, I don't know if this is a shocking statistic to you. It might be. But 10 out of 10 men will someday die. Isn't, isn't that shocking? You know, and, and here's the thing. You know, we laugh about that. But it tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. That my physical needs are not eternal. Isn't it true? And we many times speak about death in this way, whether it happens to be Christian, whether it happens to be unchristian, you hear Christians many times talk about this, at least they're at rest. You know, and when we talk about that, what we mean by that, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is they've ceased from all their pain, all of their turmoil, all of their trials, all of their inconveniences that happen at the beginning of life. Well, let me say this, and I know we know this, but I don't think we keep it in front of our heads, in front of our minds, in front of our hearts. Every single person who is living will spend eternity somewhere. I'm, sho I'm shocked. I, I, I get overcome many times when I go to the Devonshire Mall. I really do. 
you know, as I look at little groups of people, little groups of kids, little groups, again, of older um, individuals playing cards, you know, in the food court and everything else like that, I think every single one of those people will spend eternity somewhere. There will be, get this now, life beyond this life. Right? Right, we realize that. You know, I was watching a little bit of the football game in Ann Arbor, Michigan. 100,000 people, and they scanned over the top of it. I don't know if it was a drone or what it was. They scanned over the top of it. Those 100,000 people that happen to be gathering there, cheering for the amazing blue or whatever it happened to be again, will spend eternity somewhere. Right, Jesus talked about two resurrections. You know, in John chapter 5, in verse number 29, he says, And do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And listen to what will happen and come out. Now listen to what he says. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And both of these resurrections, get this, are eternal. Right? One's here. And one's here. One's life, you know, this glorious life before Christ. And one is this eternal judgment. And I think, again, every um, social evil that happened to begin out there, every uh, pain and ache, everything that we go through, again, as far as physical, points to a truth that this life is not eternal. It really isn't. And therefore, any of my physical needs, get this, are not eternal in nature. Right? Right? If I could ask this question, and I don't want you to put up your hand, but if I could say how many of you got, got a, a knee replacement or a hip replacement, some of you would put up your hands. But you realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's, it's only temporary. You know, it's only temporary, isn't it? And why? Because it's not eternal. So think about it. Let's get back to what's the most loving thing that the disciples could do? Here it is, over here. Hellenistic widows. Here they are, not being taken care of. He said, we need to take care of this. But we cannot give up the preaching of God's word. The gospel. And why? Because this is of eternal need whatsoever. And let me just say this. May shame be heaped upon us if we know somebody is in need and it's in our power and we just don't want to sacrifice, we just don't want to give up and we don't meet that need. May shame be heaped upon us, but may shame be heaped upon us if we don't open up our lips and tell the breathtaking gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about it. Here we came. We came in this morning. What did you expect when you came in? How do you know that you're loved by the leadership? How do you know that you're loved by your Sunday school teachers? How do you know that you're loved by your table leaders on Wednesday evening? You know this, when they come prepared to give the word of God. That's how we know, because what's the most necessary thing that happened to be in my life? Not just an unsaved person's life, not just someone outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, but what's the most necessary uh, uh, need that happened to me in my life. And here it is, to be conformed in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ for the glory of God, because his glory is absolutely eternal. 
And my plea, because I think the great danger of good, godly, biblical churches are when they let really, 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 really good things become preeminent over that which is preeminent, which is God, which is his word, which is his gospel. Let's keep first things first. Let's bow our hearts. Father, as we think of these glorious truths, <coughs> we're amazed how easily we go astray. Lord, how easily we can let secondary things, we can let really, really good things. God, things that should flow out of our love for you, things that should flow because we truly care about others and realize the dignity even of uh, them being in, made in the image of Christ. Lord, things that should flow out of us, such as looking after the needy, looking after the less privileged, looking after, Lord, those who might not be able to care for themselves. But Lord, in all of that, we recognize that it's so easy to lose the priority, the preeminence. God, the, the necessity And if we're eternal beings, we realize there's one main necessity in our life. And that's forgiveness of sins that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Lord, it can only become through the new birth. And we realize the means that you have chosen in order to bring people to a saving knowledge of Christ, in order even to conform your saints to be more like Jesus Christ, in order to make the calling and election sure in Jesus Christ. And that is your gospel. That is through the preaching of your word. And I just pray, Lord, as we come into your house, there would be a priority. There would be a preeminence in all that we say and all that we do. There would be an expectancy, even among your people, Lord, as they come in, to hear from you, from your word. Help us, Lord. We're so needy in this area. We thank you again for meeting that need through Christ. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.